Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, uh, we thank you that we have your word in front of us, that we can, uh, we can read from it, that we can study it, that we can know you um, better and deeper from it. And I pray, Lord, as we uh, hear from it now, Lord, that you'll remind us again about the greatness of Jesus and how he is the good news of great joy for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm at that age where your birthday is just another day in the calendar. Is that, is that, would you guys relate to that? Yep. For most of us here, you know, you're at that age where it's like, uh, your birthday is just another day. You go to work, you you have dinner, you might have cake, maybe, and then you go to sleep. You, you do, I'm at that age, too, where I'm, instead of attending birthdays of myself and my friends around me, I'm attending birthdays of, of little kids and, and kids that are closer to the age of my daughter than to me. And so yesterday, I had two birthdays I attended. One of them was for my niece, a six-year-old, uh, and the other one was uh, a first one-year-old birthday for, for Mila, actually. So happy birthday, Mila. Shout out to her. Uh, it's, it was a big day, a big day of parties, not for us, not for people my age, but for little kids. But it was really special. Special because you see the joy in the face of a child when they open up their presents, when they get to blow out the candles, when they get to um, be surrounded by their friends and family. It's really, it's really priceless, isn't it? Um, my daughter, Tilly, she loves celebrating birthdays. She loves the birthday song. That's what her current obsession is right now. She'll sing it when she's in the car to herself, and I'm driving, and she'll start singing, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you, and she'll, she'll just put someone else's name, happy birthday, mommy, or whatever. And, and, and it's really cute. And for me as a child, I remember enjoying birthdays. I remember having McDonald's birthdays, you know, where you wear the party hats and you get cheeseburgers and everyone's having a good time at McDonald's. You, 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 you know, you graduate from that, you have sleepovers with friends, you play video games all night maybe. Uh, later on as a teen, you go to parties where it becomes more mm, involved with alcohol, getting up to no good, those sort of parties. And then you have your 21st, right? That's when you hit your peak. Uh, at my 21st, I remember it was a big party with lots of speeches and slideshows of embarrassing photos as a kid, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I still question, why do we do that? Like, it's, an, it's a very American thing, isn't it, to, to do the 21st birthday? But really, that's when you hit your peak of adulthood, and that's it. After that, your birthday's not a big deal anymore. No one cares. Really, no one cares. I mean, I did celebrate my 25th, and then my 30th, and my 35th, and my next one's probably going to be my 40th. But... Every other year, I don't even remember what I did. I don't know if you're at that age as well. And I, it makes me wonder because, you know, we, we, as humans, we, we don't really think about this anymore. We don't care because we're just, it's just another day. Yet here we are, this time of year, 
like every year where we celebrate a special birthday, don't we? Every year we find this birthday worth celebrating in our calendar. Every year we look forward to this time of year to celebrate the person we know as Jesus. And while Christmas has now in our secular Western context um, become more you know, synonymous with holidays and presents and Santa, arguing about which Christmas movie is the best, you know, there are still so many around the world, Christians, who gather to celebrate the birthday of Jesus. Why? What makes Jesus so important that we take time off every year to celebrate him? Hasn't he been celebrated enough? You know, isn't he at that age where he doesn't need birthdays anymore? Do we need to celebrate his 2023rd birthday? Is that even how old he really is? Why do we make such a big deal of this day each year? I want us to look at this passage because it's all about who Jesus is. It's all about who he is, what he did, and why he's worth celebrating. And this Christmas season, I want us to unpack this idea that we began last week in Luke chapter 2 about why he is good news of great joy for our world. You want your Bibles open here, Philippians 2, because Philippians 2, is, we're going to read that and, and help us, it's going to help us get a deeper understanding of why Christmas is a time to ce- celebrate Jesus. This little section here in Philippians 2, is, um, it's read really like a poem or a song, a uh, hymn perhaps. It's, it's in this letter and it's written, um, uh, we don't know where it came from, but the early church would have sung it. They would have uh, spoken it to each other when they met together. Uh, but there are some real strong, I guess, real important gospel truths that I want to draw out of it to help us think through why we celebrate Jesus, what Christmas truly is all about. It's funny talking about Christmas, I'll be honest with you, because we're in Brisbane, it's really hot. And it's not like what you see on TV, you know, the whole winter wonderland Christmas, you know, white Christmas. To talk about Christmas when it's really hot and I don't want to wear any clothes, like that's really bizarre, isn't it? But it is that time of year. We are thinking about Christmas and the shopping centers tell us it's all about Christmas. Let's begin with verse 5 to 6. Verse 5, chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, I'll stop there. You might hear Christians say we believe in God as the Trinity, the triune God, three persons, one God. All right, you might hear Jesus referred to as the Son of God. So there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? Uh, here, the writer of Philippians, Paul the Apostle, he's saying Jesus is God. He is the pre-existent, before creation, infinite and eternal God. Jesus was before the, was there before the first Christmas. He's always been. He's before time itself. He was there with God and is God. Other parts of the Bible refer to Jesus as the image of the invisible God or describe him as the Word of God, as Brigham read for us in his prayer earlier. He's the Word of God that was there with God at creation. This Jesus is God, the true and living God, the creator of the universe who flung the stars into motion, the one who created you, the one who created me. This Jesus is so much more than just a, I don't know how you picture Jesus, a blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby boy in a manger that we see in nativity scenes, perhaps. He existed long before that first Christmas 2,000 years ago. He is God who is in the heavens, and, and that puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? Before we even get to the Christmas stuff, we've got to lay that foundation first. Jesus was and is God before he entered our world as a human. Now, here's the, here's the interesting part. When it, says he, when it says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, 
It means that while he possesses this divine, divine, these divine attributes, this divinity, he, he, he possesses power and authority, he chooses instead, as verse 7 tells us, to empty himself of that, to become human. Here's the crazy thing about that. As, as human beings, we often think of ourselves at the, as the top of the food chain, right? We, we humans put ourselves at the center of the universe. But let's be honest. We're like tiny ants crawling across this earth in the biggest grand scheme of the universe. Just one of, what, seven, eight billion now in this world. We think we're a big deal and we pursue lives hoping we'll get to that you know, status one day where everyone will know us and everyone will have this, you know, this will have that God status one day. You know, like a video game, when you're playing a video game, if you ever do play video games, you want to level up, you want to hit God mode, become invincible, untouchable. We want that status in life where nothing can hurt us because we're at the top of our game. Isn't that all of life? A climbing up of some corporate ladder. A need to upgrade in life, wanting to reach a higher status, do more studies, keep upgrading our, our careers, wanting to reach a higher status, uh, status amongst our peers in our achievements. Isn't there, there's, 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 there's that song that, that, that by that rapper Drake, I, wouldn't, I don't want to sing it to you, but you know, we started from the bottom, now we're here. You know, that song. Very obscene language in it, so don't go listen to it. But if you, you get my point, right? Like, life is always that pursuit to upgrade. Yet here we have Jesus, who didn't think it was important to keep that God status, essentially. Although he had every right to. Instead, he lowered himself. He gave himself a demotion. He became human. Verse 7, it says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Other translations will say, being born in the likeness of a man. You see, the, the technical term that you'll hear Christians use here when God becomes human is what? It's the incarnation of Jesus. When I first became a Christian, I heard that word, and it was a big word, incarnation. What, is that a flower or something? A uh, carnation? Uh, it don't, you know, we can't get it confused with incarceration either. It's not the same thing. Incarnation, it means God become human. Jesus became man. Which, which, which means while his human life might be limited to those... 30 years or so that he lived on this earth, he really is that infinite and eternal being. In other words, his birth was not a, a, his birth coming into the world, it wasn't, wasn't coming into being of a new person, but a coming into the world of an infinitely old person. Jesus has always been. But get this, he was in the nature of God, then chose to become human. And we should be thinking, why? Why would he downgrade in life when he's got that top tier God status already? Why would he choose to enter our world and be a human? And when I think about God's entering our world, I, I immediately think of Thor for some reason. This, you know, this blonde hair, fully grown, bearded, muscular Chris Hemsworth you know, entering our world. Jesus came, though. Didn't, he didn't come to the world as an adult, did he? He came via the natural means of, of birth, via the womb of, a, of his mum Mary, but supernatural via the Holy Spirit coming upon the virgin. Natural still in the sense that Jesus was an embryo at one stage, a fetus which is wild to imagine. But Matthew chapter 1 actually tells us all about his genealogy, his, his ancestry, to show us in one sense he's ordinary, yet extra extraordinary as well. He, he steps off the throne and he chooses to take upon himself this human experience, a human life where he has to be dependent on others. He needs his mummy for food, someone to change his nappies when he poops, someone to swaddle him and, and put clothes on him. I think all our young parents would know what that's like. That a kid to, be, to have a kid that's dependent on us, 
to be raised and nurtured. The Son of God. Think about this. He was at the top of the pecking order. He comes as a baby. Not able to talk, not able to walk, just crying like every baby does, needing someone else to wipe his bum. That's, that should be simply astounding to us. That he chose to lower himself to our world. To share in our human condition. To share in our human experiences. This is why Jesus is also known as Emmanuel. It means God with us. But he didn't, he didn't just stay a baby, did he? He grew up and became an adult. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he lowers himself, not just to human status, but he humbles himself in obedience to God to the point of death on a cross. And this is what it means when it says he took on the nature of a servant. He came to serve God, to obey God and obey, uh, obey him to the point of his death. That was God's plan of salvation, that he came to die, to sacrifice his life. And you see, the gospel, the good news tells us after a few years of, of gathering crowds and teaching the people and performing miracles and doing good things, Jesus was falsely accused. He was arrested and humiliated, scorned, suffered, and died at the hands of the people he himself loved and created. He was born into our world to die. That was God's plan all along. The Son of God became human. And doesn't that just show you his character? Doesn't that just tell us something about his heart, his obedience to God, and his love for people? I've only got a couple of verses I'm going to refer to today. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's referring to himself. He came as a servant, born into this world, giving his life, becoming obedient to death. He died so that we could be saved. Saved from our sins. Saved from the death so, so that, that we deserve for our rebellion and sin. Jesus was willing to lower himself to the point of death so that you and I wouldn't have to experience death. Friends, we all need that rescued. We all need that salvation because we all have sin. There is no human on this earth that can say that we fully obey God perfectly in this life. There's no one that can say that. Every human being can admit that there have been times in their lives where they've lived for themselves and not lived for God. We all have flaws. We all have imperfections. Sin is that breakdown in our relationship with God where we, we, don't want to, we don't want God to be God. We want to be God over our own lives. And because of that sin, there is no access to heaven. There is no access to God himself. Instead, there is death and separation from God as sin deserves. That awaits us. This is what Jesus came to do, to be obedient to God in his plan of salvation, to save people like you and I from that eternal death, to be saved to eternal life. In love, Jesus came and died in our place. By his own choosing, a voluntary lowering of himself, he had to become human for us to be saved. He had to be our representative, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who can take away the sin of humankind, past, present, and future. If Jesus was merely just a mortal man like you and I, he wouldn't be able to save the world. But as a Son of God, he lowered himself, taking on the fullness of humanity to die and save us all. My other reference here is Hebrews chapter 2. It's a bit long. I'll read this to you. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, the children, humanity, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, a representative, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You see, what he's saying is that only Jesus can defeat death. 
Only Jesus can defeat the power of the devil. We can't. Only he can be our representative, uh, a, a priest in service to God. Only he can make atonement for the sins of the people by giving up his own life as a sacrifice that is the payment which atones for our sin. He had to be made fully human in every way so that we could be forgiven, so that death could be defeated, so that we could have life, eternal life with God. A relationship once broken but now restored because Jesus was born to our world that first Christmas, because Jesus lived that perfect sinless life that we couldn't, because Jesus died the death on our behalf to save us. He is the good news of great joy. And in his resurrection, he proved to the world who he is, his authority over death, his divine status as a son of God. And so within these, these six or so verses, we're on this roller coaster, aren't we? We start off with you know, Jesus in the heavens as God, then he lulls himself to our world, born as a human, as, and then he gets exalted again to, to, to the position as highest that he's ascended. He's in the heavens again and, and the highest place with the highest status. That's, that's what verse 9 to 11 says. I'll read it. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, God the Father responds to the humble servant and son, Jesus. He exalts him, crowns him Lord of all, puts him in the position of highest honor. Jesus is king. Jesus gets the honor and praise that he's worthy of that worship. This is why we celebrate him. He's at the center of our faith. This is really important because, because sometimes we, we, we hear things from Christians sometimes. There's so many brands of Christianity out there, isn't there? People who call themselves Christians yet talk very little about Jesus. They'll talk about God, which is good and all, but if you put Christ on the fringe of your Christianity, then is it even Christianity? Is it even about Christ anymore? If Jesus is just a footnote, you're missing a key ingredient, aren't you? Because the heart of Christianity is Jesus. At the heart of Christmas is Jesus. And we celebrate Christmas not because of some, uh, not as great as it is in the miraculous virgin birth, that's amazing, but we celebrate because of who He is, the Son of God, who was there at creation. We celebrate who he is because we celebrate Jesus, what he's done. He's done something that no one else has done. Saved, saved our humanity from the one thing we can't save ourselves from, our sin. Paid by his innocent life, his sacrifice for ours, his great substitute so that we could have access, reconciliation, restoration in friendship with God. We celebrate because he now reigns. God reinstated him to the position of glory as king and Lord above all. He is the one who fulfilled God's plan of redemption for his creation through, through his humility through lowering himself to be human, to be a servant. That sacrifice was pleasing to God. This Jesus who was born as a baby, walked this earth 2,000 years ago, this lived, lived and he taught and modeled love and grace and compassion, who died on a cross, was raised from the dead. This Jesus who started a movement that changed the world, who brought God to us, this Jesus now reigns. And that's huge, isn't it? So big. That's, that should blow our minds. Because in our secular world, Christmas is all about who? Well, it's all about you, isn't it? You receive presents. You get time to yourself to rest and take holidays. You get to eat lots of great food. You get to have end-of-year gatherings with friends. And when I say you, I also include me, you and I. We're told this narrative that Christmas is all about you. So treat yourself. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's so much bigger than you and I. It's all about him. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. We want to celebrate Jesus at Christmas time. We want to celebrate Jesus all the time. So how can we do that? Well, there's a few suggestions from this passage itself. The verse 10 and 11 stuff, bowing our knee to Jesus. That means submitting to his rule and reign over our lives. 
being able to acknowledge with our tongue, our words, with our hearts, with our very lives that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's gospel-centered lives. That's how we can celebrate Christmas, celebrate Jesus this Christmas. I mean, that's how we celebrate Jesus all year round. We celebrate him by giving him praise and worship and centering our lives, not around ourselves, but around him. To lay down our lives. To give ourselves in humility. I I think that's that's what verse 5 is referring to as well. That's another way we can celebrate Jesus. In your relationships with one another, it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're we're called in in the way that we honor Jesus to be a people who are humble and selfless to be a servant of God to, to, to Him and to others around us as well in our relationships. Are we doing that? Are we humbly serving and looking to the needs of others above our own? And perhaps this Christmas we need that reminder that we celebrate Jesus by thinking of and giving ourselves to others, by, by celebrating His humility and servant heart, by following His example of humble service to others in our lives as well. And in doing so, give Him honor and praise as our King giving honor and praise as our Savior and Lord that was born into our world. You see, um, speaking of birthdays, it was um, Taylor Swift's birthday this last week. She turned 34, right? I don't know if you guys know that. I can't not mention her. I can't not mention Taylor Swift because she's the biggest thing at the moment. I'm not a Swifty, but let me tell you a few things she's accomplished this year. She did her Eras tour, which made $1 billion in revenue and then also released a movie about it, all right? She re-released a couple of her albums. I didn't even know that. Someone told me. And then in November, she was crowned as the most listened to artist on Spotify with 26.1 billion global streams. That's huge. Right? She herself reached billionaire status this year. She made, she's a billionaire. That's crazy. At 34 years old. Now, again, I'm not a Swifty. I don't really know her songs. I, I watched this TikTok video of uh, someone interviewing basketball players. Hey, do you know a Taylor Swift song? They, none of them could name one. And that's me. You know, if you ask me what tells uh, Romeo and Juliet, is that a song? Uh, like, that's the only one I remember, and that was really early on. And I don't think it's called that either. But she's a big deal in this world. Love story, yeah. But she's a big deal in this world, right? And, and to some, she's got that God status already. She, she's invincible. She's, she's taking over the world. Here's the thing, though, about Taylor Swift. While she had this great party for her 34th birthday with stars and all that sort of stuff, there'll be a day she'll get old. And one day, where she'll be less important than she is today. Just like you and me, where our birthdays aren't going to be a big deal anymore the older we get. Because frankly, none of us are really that important. Our grandkids, grandkids, sadly, but honestly, won't know or care much about who we are. Unless they look it up on some Ancestry.com thing. (laughs) That's the reality of being human. Even for Taylor Swift, she might be remembered for a bit longer. But when we come to Christmas time, the one we celebrate isn't just a baby boy who gathered a huge following. He's the son of God. He came to save the world. Jesus came and came to die for you and for me and to save humanity from our sin. And now he reigns as king. He is worthy of our worship. Let's keep him at the center of our celebrations and at the center of our lives as we surrender our lives before him. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'll keep pointing our hearts back to the one who is worthy of our worship, worthy of celebrating our Lord and Savior Jesus. May our lives truly reflect our knowledge of him. Living, help us to live lives that are in humble service of you, selflessly looking to the needs of those around us as Christ laid down his life for us.
And Father, we pray too that you'll help those who are here who don't know you yet, uh, who, don't, who don't worship you yet, that you'll also, also open their eyes and their hearts to this good news of great joy. We have a Savior in Jesus, a servant king who sacrificed his life for us so we could know you and know the life and love that's in you. May you move our hearts today for your glory, for our King. In his name we pray. Amen.